Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. On today's episode, we have a special guest, someone that's been in the fitness space for a really long time, Sal Stefano. Sal started off as doing sales and as a manager in a traditional health club, then transitioned into personal training, and now is a host on the Mind Pump podcast where they've diversified. These guys, man, I went and sat down with them. Not only is their podcast awesome, one of the top-rated fitness podcasts, but they've also used it as a catalyst to then grow their training programs, grow their real estate portfolio, and I was nothing but inspired by everything they have going on. But one of the topics that I talked to uh, Sal about today, which in particular I really enjoyed, was the idea of his book, The Resistance Training Revolution, and utilizing resistance training for weight loss. He talks a lot about it today. I was fascinated by the conversation. I hope you enjoy it as well. If you do, here's the simple ask. Rate it, review it, and share with a friend. Take a screenshot, Hit me up on Instagram and let me know what you're thinking so that we can continue to produce amazing shows, add value, and let's get after it. So hit me up on uh, Instagram, screenshot it, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and let's have an incredible episode with Sal. Let's go. So Sal, I want to talk to you obviously about your new book that you're, well, you released a couple of months ago, but more importantly, I want to get started with the, your background. Like you guys, you're the co-founder of Mind Pump. Mm-hmm. You're here in the Bay Area with me. We've met a couple of times and I want to learn more about your background because you guys are making, you and your crew are making a huge impact on the fitness world. And I think some of us in the CrossFit space in particular, maybe aren't as familiar with who you guys are, what are you guys doing? And so I want to get started with you guys are making, you guys, your podcast has, you know, tons of downloads. It's, you said, what, number one fitness podcast? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. And so how'd you get started in the fitness space? And how'd you come up with Mind Pump and all of this kind of stuff? Yeah, so I got started uh, quite early. Uh, and I started working out as a kid at 14 years old and just fell in love with it. And I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd with things that I that I get obsessed with. And it's the thing I got most obsessed with was exercise. So I was a 14-year-old kid going to the library. Mm-hmm. reading chemistry books so I could figure out supplements and looking up old Soviet studies on exercise and, and stuff like that. At and 14, 15, you're doing Yeah, that? yeah. I was a huge, huge nerd Were you about at the it. gym too or were you just doing it? It's in my backyard. So my dad had a weight set and he fooled around here and there. And they, my parents didn't let me lift weights until I was about 14. Then I got the green light and I went nuts. So just I'll pause there for a second. Looking back on it, with your interest in lifting weights and your dad or your parents not wanting to lift until you're 14, what's your opinion on that? Do you think you should have started earlier? Do you think that was the right time to start? Oh yeah, you know the myths around yep. uh, resistance training in particular. It's gonna you know stunt your growth, and I think my parents were afraid I'd hurt myself. And my dad wasn't a trainer; he was he 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 knew like four exercises. I think he bought a weight set because one of his uh, his employees you know, boasted about how much you could bench press. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Wanna... It's always the bench press. Yeah. yeah. Especially when we were kids, right? Yeah. So I did that, fell in love with it. And when I was 18, I was old enough to be a trainer at the, at the, and I think it's still like this, but at the time tr- gyms wouldn't hire you as a trainer unless you were an adult, right? You had to be 18. So I went to the local 24 hour fitness and became a trainer. Four months later, I was a fitness manager. So I was managing a, a fitness department. And uh, by the time I was 19, I was managing big box gyms as a general manager and doing grand openings for them and stuff. And I loved it. Um, you know, they would call me a, you know, a, a young prodigy or whatever in the company. And it was really just, it, I was so passionate about it. I loved what I did. Uh, I think I have a knack for communication. So sales skills came very easy for me. 
And I did great. I did really well. Broke a lot of records and opened clubs and just had a great time. Right around 23, um, I went off and became an entrepreneur. And I opened up my own wellness studio. So I had personal training, massage therapy, acupuncture, gut and hormone testing. Gut and hormone testing. Yeah, and this was back. Yeah, I was going to say that's came a long way since probably when you opened that. Oh yeah, that, this was not, this was something that nobody really did uh, back then, at least because you're looking, you know, like, geez, that's over almost twenty years ago. But I had a young lady that worked uh, for me who was a physical therapist, but at, was also, I think, level three check certified, and so she was like on the cutting edge of this kind of stuff, as, as you, I'm sure you know the wellness world was very separate from the fitness world back yeah. then. So why did you leave? Um, how did you progress from being a trainer? Because when I think about a trainer, obviously, you know, I, I had a, a background in the conventional gym as well, at a place called Milpitas Health and Fitness, which was- I remember that. Yeah, you know, I that, do. You know that spot. Uh-huh. Um, and when you think about a trainer, you think about a personal trainer, and there's a lot of sales involved in that, right? Yes. Obviously, you need to execute and have a great job with your clients, but- how did you make the pivot from being a personal trainer to then doing more of like managing the actual club itself? And then why did you do that too? Okay, so uh, there's a and you're this is a great point that you make about training in that there, there's a lot of sales involved, but I think there's a lot of commun- a lot of confusion in that sales skills only refer to selling products um, and not it's it has nothing to do with how you can get your clients to follow your advice. The most effective coaches and trainers in the world are some of the best effective communicators you'll ever find. There's another word for effective communication, which is sales, right? You're constantly selling your clients daily and it's subtle and you have to be good at it, but you're constantly selling people on changing fundamental aspects of how they live. You know, you take somebody who's 30 pounds overweight, who's never exercised and has never really had a good relationship with food, and you're trying to get them to change that. Those are fundamental things. You need to be a damn good a communicator. And this was something that I really enjoyed doing. Now, why did I go into management? Because I liked teaching others how to do this. And I still had the opportunity to train people. Still, back then, they allowed me to continue training some clients while I did this. Now, you, they don't do this anymore. Right. But back in those days, they did. Now, I left the big box gyms because of the lack of autonomy. Ah. Um, at the time, 24-Hour Fitness was, when I first started there, it had just gone from being 24-Hour Nautilus to 24-Hour Fitness. You know this, you're yeah. from the Bay Area. 24-Hour Nautilus, founded by Mark Mastroff, yep. they merged, or I guess merge is the right word, with Ray Wilson's Family Fitness, which was this big health club chain in Southern California mainly, and in other parts of the country. And they had kind of merged together and become 24-hour fitness. And that's kind of when I started there. And at the time, it was this dynamic atmosphere. I had incredible mentors there. Some of the best business people you'll ever find came from that area uh, or from that era, I would say. And then it started to move in a different direction. 24-hour fitness then started to bring in people from outside of fitness, people who looked at the gym industry and compared it to things like Circuit City, or which was a electronics, you know, store. <laughs> yeah. Now they're, yeah. they're they've disappeared. They're probably gone. Now. Yeah, they're gone now. But they looked at it, and I remember specifically being in a meeting as a you know I was one of the top general managers. So I'm in this meeting with district managers, VPs, and these new people that were coming in to you know kind of change the way we did things. And I remember them saying, you know, we're the largest fitness 
chain in the world. We have great equipment. All we need to do is have the best prices and we'll win. People just need to come in, look up at the menu and pick their, their membership and we'll defeat everybody. We'll be the best in the, in the world or whatever, you know, beat our competition. And I remember sitting there coming from the training background, understanding fitness and thinking, this is no, that's not how it works. When people sign up in my gyms or when they hire a trainer, it's not because we have the best equipment. It's not because, you know, our gym is the best. It's because of us. It's because of the people. And when you sell fitness, you don't sell the equipment. It's the idea. It's the results. It's the, what can this do for me? In reality, they're just renting space to right. accomplish this thing. And I've run clubs that were old and beat up, old flagship clubs, and we would crush. And it wasn't because my gym was the best. And I saw the direction they were going, didn't like it. I lost some of the autonomy. In the early days as a manager, I was kind of allowed to do what I wanted and I would do great. I'd have so much fun. I'd have live DJs come in the gym Good. and dress yes. up in costumes. Close and, out sale days. Oh, like, it was great. Oh, man. It was incredible. And yeah. they started to, to push back against that and wanted all of us to fit in a box. I, I'll, I'll tell you the, this funny story. Here's the last straw that broke the camel's back. Here I am, young general manager, crushing, you know, breaking records. I'd promoted, you know, lots of general managers and fitness managers. And I got this new district manager who, when he would come into my club, literally would crap out the staff. Like he'd come in and leave and everybody be, he's Dude, just terrible. Have you ever heard of this term, seagull managing? <laughs> no, no, I haven't, so, but I think I know what you mean though. So you come in, you shit on everybody yeah. and you leave. Dude, <laughs> this guy was so terrible and and I couldn't believe he was my manager. And I, this was the the last straw. We, they had decided that, so we had this big master appointment book that sat at the front desk and this master appointment book had every trainer and every trainer's appointment. And so the idea was you'd go in as a manager, you'd open the master appointment book and you knew it was going on right. throughout the whole day. Well, he, he had passed this new rule where we had to highlight every person, a particular color. Like this means a fit appointment, which is an orientation. This oh. means there are almost... You know, they're two sessions away from re-enrolling. This means, you know, they're new. And so we're like five different colors and, you know, it would tell you kind of what's going on. Nothing wrong with that. But he said, fill in the entire page with the highlighter. Now, this is a huge appointment book. Like, it's, it's, it's like it would take up a desk. That's how big it was, right? And when you color it in with these highlighters, it would bleed through. Oh, yeah. I'd throw highlighters away every single day. It was ridiculous. So I told my trainers, just underline the person. Like I'm, I'm trying to save highlighter. It's ridiculous. You're sitting coloring in. Just underline it. Right. Okay. Just put a line either. Yeah, exactly. Makes Th sense to me. Yes. This guy comes in, looks at my master appointment book, and again, top club in the in the country. We're crushing all the stuff. Brings me in my office, sits me down, and writes me up. This is the first time I've ever, ever got, gotten written up in the company. Writes me up for insubordination because he said I didn't fill everything in with the with the highlighters, with the colors. Oh. And I was like, okay. And that's really what you're referring to a little bit with the autonomy thing, Yeah, right? I'm like, this is ridiculous. I, 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 I don't want to do this anymore for these people. I want to do this on my own. And also, I really was interested in merging wellness and fitness. Now, I wasn't by any stretch of the imagination a wellness person, but I knew that I could see that there was value in yeah. it. And so that's when I went off and opened my own studio. Did that for a while. Um, met Doug, who's the producer of Mind Pump. He was actually became a client of mine. And Doug, after a few months of training with me, um, 
approached me and said, Hey, he goes, you know, I have some internet marketing experience. If you ever come up with a product that you want to sell, let me know. I'll put it together for you. Cause I think, you know, the way you communicate fitness and your ideas, I think are great. And so I went home and I created maps anabolic, which is the first, uh, maps program. We still sell it mm -hmm. to this day. At that time, uh, I had now Adam, who's my other partner, he was now. If we go back a little bit, when I was at Twenty Four Fitness, there were people that I would hear about in the company uh, all the time. Top performers. Adam was one of them. I'd hear his name. Also, there were people that would come up to me that I would know who would say things like, "Have you ever met Adam Schaefer?" And I'd say no, and they'd say, "You guys need to work together." Oh my God, you guys need to. You guys would be great partners. You guys would do great things. And it must have happened to me like ten times. Very strange. Just random people. So I'd remembered his name. Uh, I'd linked up with them on social media while I was doing this wellness facility. I had maps on a bollock and I said, you know what? This guy would be a great person to ask his opinion. Uh, I've heard great things about him. He's in, he's in the space or he was in the space. I, I would love to send him my marketing material. Uh, he comes across as an honest person, which that was very accurate <laughs> um, judgment of Adam. He's extremely honest to a fault. So I said, I'd like his opinion. So I messaged him on social media. I said, hey, would you would you mind looking over something I put together and giving me your opinion? He said, absolutely. I sent it over to him. He called me and we set up a meeting. And him and I and Justin met. And that's when we decided that we would start a podcast and start Mind Pump. How'd you guys come up with the name Mind Pump? I don't remember who specifically said the name first, but we wanted a name that would work for fitness, but that didn't pigeonhole us. Yeah. So the pump is like the fitness thing. Yes. But and mind, mind kind of, exactly. It could, you're, yes. When I think about like mind pump, you're kind of, you're, you're pumping concepts, ideas, theories into, into your mind. mind. Yes. And now why did we do that? When we, and here's, this is what's wonderful about our space and fitness. Like you and I have never worked together in fitness. You've been doing this for, I think, as long as I have, right? You've yep. been probably over 20, easily over two decades. Well, yeah, because I was at the conventional gym. I started there when I was 15 at the front desk. Oh, see? Very similar to you. Exactly. Um, Adam had been doing this for a long time. Justin has been doing this for a long time. And all of us have different backgrounds. Right? Adam, uh, his background was different from Justin. Justin was very sports-oriented, college football. My background was very different. But we all had a passion, just like you, have a passion for helping people through fitness, through health. And if you stick with it long enough, even though they, we may come from different directions, you end up finding the same answers, the same path. Uh, and is it, what do they say? The, there, there are many paths that lead up to the mountain, but right. they all at some they point converge. Yes. Yeah. And so that's what, that's what made it so wonderful. And one thing that we had in common or that we understood, you know, when you're, um, when you train people for a long time, you start to realize what makes, what's effective. And what I mean by effective is not just getting someone to lose 20 pounds, but getting them to lose 20 pounds and then stay that way forever. Right. And one of the things that makes you effective is you, you have to understand that they're never going to become fitness fanatics. They're never going to become like you, where I love fitness. I'll never stop. This is my favorite thing to do. That's not really probably going to happen to most people. And so you have to understand that the way you bring people in, the way you get them to enjoy what they're doing is through good conversation, things that are not fitness related, connect this to other things like, oh, my mental clarity, I feel better. It's a great way to start the day. 
And so we wanted to reach a lot of people with our podcast and we knew we wouldn't if we just stuck to fitness. We knew it would start to just talk to trainers and other fitness fanatics. How do we reach everybody else? Well, the same way we did when we worked with everyday clients. We make it fun, yeah, entertaining. Talk. We talk about other things. And so Mind Pump, the name, allowed us to do that. So now when you listen to the show, many of our episodes start with like a 40-minute current events, fun conversation intro because we knew if we could entertain people, we would get our fitness message through to more people by doing that. So and we knew it, that early on. Well, is that learned? So did you learn that? You said something earlier when you think about sales. And I think a lot of people in the in the fitness space have this negative connotation to the idea of sales. Totally. And, you know, I think about it like, hey, I love what I'm doing. I want to share that with other people. But you talked about it as communication. And I think that's a really interesting way because you want to... Um, you want to create these bonds and connections on multiple different levels. Mm -hmm. And if you, so from a communication perspective, especially looking at your background, because your background and mine, they're not too far apart in terms of how starting in the conventional gym, because the mentality there was very much so, how many leads did you get? How totally. many conversions did you get? Show me your master appointment book. What, what are we doing on closeout? Whereas in the traditional CrossFit space, it's, a, it's literally night and day to that. Like literally, you're trying to, not talk about any of that stuff. And so I've seen success and failures on both sides. Meaning if you're too sales driven, just all about that, you don't create a culture, a community or a connection like what you were saying. Like mm -hmm. it's not about the fanciest gym, it's about the people there. Then on the other side, you could have really great people, but if they're not in, in putting in any form of business sense at all, I've also seen that not be successful yes. both ways, right? The hobbyist or the overly professional. So I guess what advice would you have for, there's a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast, and I'm curious how you take it from your, what what was the lessons learned in the trenches at a young age selling and your idea of this communication? I want to lean into that a little bit more because oh, that was yeah. interesting to me. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. In fact, Jason, I, before the pandemic happened, I was going to a lot of local gyms and this is just something I wanted to do and I would talk to trainers specifically about this because there is a lot of confusion. Now, what you just talked about is not sales and culture. What you talked about, and I know that's that's how it was positioned, but what you're actually saying is business and then building a culture. What I'm talking about is effective communication, which can be either and both at the same time. So let me give you an example. Okay, so here you are, you're a trainer or a coach, and you know what real fitness can do for somebody's quality of life. You know what good nutrition can do for someone's quality of life. And I don't mean you know the, the information. Anybody can go on Google and look up workouts and diet. <laughs> right, right. I mean you know, like you really know. You get right. it. Right. Like, like when people say, when you talk to the average person and you talk about exercise, like, oh, I don't know if I have the time. I don't know if – they don't really understand that, man, if you do this and you develop a good relationship with it, which is very important – It'll give you more time. Oh. It improves your quality of life. It changes everything. It's one of the most unassuming personal growth, you know, uh, vehicles that exists is 100%. just improving your health and fitness. Now imagine if, you know, this were some other universe like the Matrix and you could take a, a cable and plug <laughs> it into your brain and then plug it into theirs. Red pill, blue pill or whatever Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Hit a button and then they get it. Right. They get all that, right? Right. You would never have to convince anybody to spend $1,000 to hire you as a coach or to pay 100 something dollars a month 
for your it would it wouldn't have to happen. They would get it. They would understand it. I mean, people spend more money on their cell phone bill and on their freaking, you know, uh, YouTube and Hulu and you know Disney all their all their subscriptions than they do on fitness and health because they don't understand it. Now the problem is we don't live in that universe. I can't plug my brain into yours and have you get it right. I have to use my words, and the way I use my words and how I communicate is everything. So the truth is, if you want to be an effective coach, truly an effective coach, the most important skill you could ever develop are your communication skills. And and yes, they are sales skills. Now, I don't mean the crappy bullshit sales art. Let me know. go talk to my manager. I'll be right back no, trying to get you a better deal. That's, type not, of thing. that's not real. If, yeah. you, if you ever meet the best top salespeople in any, in any space, fitness or otherwise, what you're going to meet are people who truly believe and what they're talking about in very sincere ways, not the fake crap, whatever. I'm not talking to fitness people right now who, and by the way, it's almost never happens, but you know, if you became a trainer because you think you're going to make a lot of money, that's you're in the wrong space. Right. But if, if you're that trainer who became a trainer, like, I just want to trick people into buying my product so I can sell more. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the vast majority of people who get into fitness, which is we have a deep passion for what we do and we want to help people. Effective communication skills is paramount. And if you get good at it, it will make you so successful. And I'm not just talking about monetarily. That will be actually a reflection of the true success, which is you'll really get people to make fundamental changes and you'll be that that guide for them. And that's what's uh, the most important thing. So when I talk about those things, that's what I'm referring yeah, but how to. Do you, so I, I loved your analogy of the matrix. That's a really interesting one. So we all know that fitness can be profoundly impactful. Yeah. Um, helps you overcome adversity. All, all I mean, look, it's, we could talk endless. for hours about it. Of course, right? This is very important for me, for my family, for everybody I know. I loved your analogy of the matrix because that was a really interesting. Because if these people actually knew the value, like if they saw what I see, they would do it because they 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 know the impact it's had on my life and my family's life and whoever. So, what type of things? are you thinking about when you're communicating this? Because my thing is, if you talk to someone, you say, hey, you're going to be able to you know, look better with your shirt off. Okay, they probably know that. Hey, you're probably going to have better blood markers. And uh, even now you can say, hey, you're probably going to have a better chance against COVID, right? You can right. use those uh, more than likely, but they probably already know those things, right? Mm -hmm. Like I could look good. I'm probably going to feel good. You should be able to perform daily tasks. So what type of things are you communicating that maybe they don't know about? Because they probably already know it but is it just the way you're communicating it? Is that what it is? It's everything. Everything yeah. is about the way you communicate it. I'll give you an example. Yeah. All right. You're talking to somebody about hiring you as a coach or a trainer, and you say, and you ask the following question. By the way, questions are very important. You need information from the person before you can communicate to them in a way that's effective. And asking questions also directs uh, the conversation, opens people up. And oftentimes they reveal to themselves their motivations. And this is this is part of effective communication. But one question you should probably always ask is, how many days a week can you realistically commit to fitness? Okay. Now let's say I'm an inexperienced fitness uh, coach or trainer. And the person talks to me and says, wow, you know what? That's a good question. I'm really busy. I have kids. I have a job. Uh, you want me to give you a realistic answer? And I'll be like, Absolutely. And they'll say, oh, you know, one day a week. One day a week I think is realistic. Now, the inexperienced trainer or coach would say, well, here's the deal. 
if you work out more often, you'll get better right. results. Right. You'll be more consistent. It'll give you more time. And and that's all true. There's 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 no there's nothing false about that. But that's very ineffective. Here's what's effective. Awesome. Let's start with one day a week. Okay. Now why 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 is that so different? Because why why am I going to try and convince this person to do something that's not realistic? Go against what they're saying. Also, I know for a fact, if that person comes in one day a week, they're going to feel better because it's more than what they're doing now. And if I do a good job, they'll come to me and say, I think I can do another right, day I'm a ready week. ready for a second day. Right. I remember this as a gym manager. I remember giving people tours of my gym at prime time, right? You know, yeah, Monday, packed, 5 p.m. right. Oh, tons of people. It's packed. We're kind of weaving in and out. And the person would say to me like, oh, man, it's really packed in here inexperienced salesperson would be like, yeah, but you know, we have tons of equipment. If you come at different times. It's <laughs> right, right, right. Experienced me would say, I know, right? We're done. That's it. Let's just keep going, right? Uh, here's another one. Which form of cardio should I do? Which one's best? Inexperienced trainer. Well, studies show that running burns the most calories, will give you the best results, blah, 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 blah. Experienced, effective communication uh, trainer. Which form of cardio do you enjoy the most? Right. Okay, so this is what, here's another That's one. That's a great, dude, that was a great one right there. Yeah, here's right? another one. Let's yeah. talk about nutrition uh, for a second. Um, you know, uh, okay, so we need to work on your nutrition. This is going to help you with your with your goals. Yes, I understand that. Um, I know you want to lose weight. Yes, I do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go track your calories. Give me your look, macros. We're gonna fit what you're whatever. eating. Yeah. We're going to cut your calories by 500 and then make sure we hit these targets. Now, that's all true. That definitely will work if they follow that. Are they going to be able to follow that forever? No, most people find that stressful and start to develop a negative relationship with it, eventually fall off. How about this one? How about this one? I tell you what, I don't want you to count anything. Just avoid heavily processed foods. Eat as much as you want. Now, why is that more effective? I know as a coach, and studies support this clearly, if you avoid heavily processed foods, you'll probably eat about five or 600 calories less a day. That's a fact. You can look at all the studies on this. So what I'm going to say to the client is, Eat as much as you want. Eat until you're satisfied. Don't overstuff yourself. And just avoid heavily processed foods. But eat as much of the, the whole stuff that you want. And then they'll they'll get there anyway. Yeah. So these are some of the things that, and those are very silly. No, that they're very, very examples. specific. Those are really specific communication tools. You're asking a question, you're mm -hmm. receiving feedback. And then I think what you're saying is when you get that feedback, to respond in a way that's constructive instead of um, like for the, the workout one is a really great example. Cause I can't tell you how many times people have came into our gym and I know you've seen this too. They're ready to get in shape. Something happened in their life. They're ready to get in shape. It's like, okay, like, what are you trying to do? I want to come in here five, seven days a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to eat completely paleo. And the first thing I tell them is like, okay, cool. But let's take a step back for a second because we need to create these habits and we need to find what's that's actually reasonable for you. And consistency really matters as you, as you know. So I think you're spot on with what you're talking about. And I think that through that communication, listening is 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 key. Yes, it's you're 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 a Sherpa guiding someone up the mountain. You're not pushing them mm. up there. And they people have to learn and figure these things out for themselves. Do you know how much more effective it is when a client would come to me that I was training once a week and they'd come to me after five months of doing this and they'd say to me, I'm ready to come three days a week. This yep. is what I want to do. Yep. Do you know how much more effective that is than me tr convincing them day one to do three days a week in which then they start to miss one or two sessions and then before you know it, they fall off? So this is part of that effective communication. Here's another one. Here's, a, here's This one's a great one when it comes to nutrition. 
most people start training. I'm talking about the average person. Start working out. Start eating a particular way because they hate something about their body. It's usually an aesthetic thing, right? I'm fat. Yeah. I don't look good. I don't it's look not good. normally like a, a, a blood, uh, you know, like, yeah. No, unless they had a heart attack. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. It's, it's usually like, I don't, I'm fat. I don't look good. I got this beer belly. Right. I started working out for aesthetic. Most of us, most of us do. Okay. Now, the, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if we stick with that, then there's a big problem because you're entering into fitness and nutrition from a position of self-hate. You're entering into so now when you're eating right, it's a punishment for being fat. When you're exercising, it's a punishment for not moving or eating that burrito or whatever. And that negative feeling around exercise. This is why when you talk to people who worked out and stopped, or you they were eating right and they stopped, and you ask them what happened, why did you stop? Ah, I just want to enjoy my life. Now to fitness people like us, that's crazy because when you take care of yourself, you enjoy your life more. Right. To them, it wasn't enjoying their life because of the way they went into it. So what I try to do is get that person to understand we're taking this eating right is not a punishment. I want you to take care of yourself. Treat yourself like someone you care about. When you come to the gym, don't think to yourself, I'm going to beat myself up and punish myself. Think to yourself, this is my time to take care of myself. What does that mean? By the way, that'll also lead them in a direction that tends to be more balanced. If they didn't get good sleep, they're stressed out, they don't feel good, they go to the gym and they think, I'm here to take care of myself, they might think to themselves, I'm tired. Right. I think I'll do mobility today. Or maybe I'll do a little yoga. Instead of, man, I'm tired, I'm fat, and I'm ugly, I'm going to go beat the crap out of myself with this crazy circuit, which might be inappropriate for them at that moment. might be too much, right? Another one would be um, to explain this. like You know as well as I do that if somebody exercises and eats right, for health in, in a real way, like they really like to be healthy, they're far more likely to be consistent and successful than someone who does it purely for cosmetic reasons. I just want to look good. That doesn't last as long, right? So what I like to tell people is this, and this is true, it's just a very effective way I think of communicating it, which is if you train and eat in a way to improve your health, if you chase health, you'll get a great deal of health and the aesthetics will follow. If you train and eat in a particular way because you're only focused on aesthetics, you might get some aesthetics, but at some point, your health will decline, and then you'll lose the aesthetics. So if you want aesthetics, chase health. And that yeah. sells it. All yeah. that does is it sell it to the person that just wants to look good. Because I'm telling them, you won't look good if you just chase looks. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. I mean, I think Cross, when they originally came in, they did a good job of talking about hey, we're going to chase results. We're going to chase performance. Totally. And the byproduct is going to be the way that you look. Absolutely. Now, you could, you could. Uh, there's opinions on how intense is too intense, this and that. But ultimately, from the beginning, it was all about performance. It mm -hmm. wasn't about how you look. And that was just, again, a byproduct of, of how you were doing in the gym. And so, speaking of the gym, I love what you've been saying, though, about this communication. I think it's been, it's really resonating. The, the, the matrix concept, the plugging in, it really goes back to the way you communicate things because you are completely true that if 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 the person at home sitting on the couch knew how they could feel when they really got this goal of health and wellness and 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 the byproduct it provides where you could keep up with your kids you could do all these different things if they knew what that felt like mm -hmm. and if they're they would be more inspired to go do it, right? But we, but we have to communicate effectively to to get them to know what that feels like. And that was a really 
Well, I just wanted to repeat that soundbite because I thought it was really good. Well, and Jason, think, think of it this way. Um, the average big box gym these days costs, what, 20, 30 bucks a month? Yeah, give maybe. or take. And then, and then the functional training gym is a lot more than that. But what, yeah. 150 bucks a month? Maybe at the high end, 200 bucks a month, right? Yeah. At the high end? Yeah. Okay. How much, that's, how much do people spend on uh, car payment? How much do people spend on their cell phone? How much do people spend on you know, entertainment and streaming services? Now, that should show you right there that people have no idea the value that real fitness can provide them. Because if they did, you would have, I mean, gym memberships would be totally different. People would be willing to spend much more for access to equipment and to their health. It, it would be a totally different market. People just don't know. They don't really understand. And they approach things the wrong way. And it's our job in the fitness space, not just to give people the, me the, the mechanistic answers. Here's your exercises. Here's your sets. Here's your reps. Here's your macros. That's part of our job. But the big part of our job is the message I'm trying to say right now, which is we need to get people to understand. Now, this is no easy feat. I'm, right. I'm not, I'm not making, you know, I hope people yeah. don't think I'm making it sound like it's, oh yeah, no, no. I'm going to snap my fingers and make it happen, right? No, man, this yeah. is really hard. Right. But look, okay, here's the deal. Of all of the issues that plague modern societies, you know, modern Western wealthy societies, poor health is at the top, okay? And I'll, I'll debate this with anybody all day long. If you look at the cost of poor health, it threatens to bankrupt us. This is a fact. If you lock it, look it's a at national the, security issue too. It, it is. If you look at the loss of, of innovation, how much less we're innovating because people are unhealthy, how much depression and anxiety affects us because we're unhealthy, how much worse of parents we are, employees we are, people we are. Think of all the things we do to self-medicate to make us feel better because we're unhealthy: alcohol, cigarettes crappy food, entertainment, right? Now, what industry has the answers to the obesity epidemic, to chronic health issues, to all this stuff? The, there's only one industry that actually has the best answers. It's the fitness industry. Now, the problem is the fitness industry is also plagued by fitness entertainment and, and, and media and influencers and people that are selling things the easy way, which is by lying to people and making people feel insecure and you got to look sexy and all this crap. But those of us who really understand the true value, we can do it. It's just hard. Yeah. I have to sell fitness the right way better than those other guys can sell fitness the wrong way. So they're telling you, you can lose 30 pounds in 30 days by taking a pill. Right. I'm telling you it's going to take a year and some major changes. I got to be better at my message than they are at their message. That's hard. And I hope that the community is, is wising up as a whole. I do think there's a lot of information out there, some good, some bad. I think ultimately, I, I wanted to touch base on something, and it goes in into your book, actually. This idea that for many, many years, cardio has been looked at as a weight loss tool. Yeah. And you know, I think there is definitely arguments to be made that if you're consistently running, you're probably going to lose weight, right? Like, for sure. But- you you think that there has been this misconception that lifting, or I guess I'm asking you, from a lifting weights perspective, one of the biggest things that we hear at our gym and, and, and all around the world is that from women in particular, if I lift weights, I'm going to get big and bulky. Mm -hmm. And from men, they just don't prioritize it. Like if they want to lose weight, they think about immediately, most people, most of the time, when they think about losing weight, they think about cardio. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's a good blanket statement. Totally. You have a slightly different you have a slightly different opinion on that. 
completely different opinion. Completely different opinion. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> and it's and it's rooted in fact and uh, and so just you know pay attention because I'm going to cite studies and uh, I'll talk about experience and also and this is in your book. Scientific. They're all in there. Yeah. Um, okay. So so here's the deal. The we're, we're in this obesity epidemic. Uh, we've identified it nationally probably since the early '80s. It's a big problem. It's uh, obesity is kind of an ob umbrella term. Uh, it's connected to many, many chronic health issues, increases your diabetes, risk of cancer yeah. and di diabetes and Alzheimer's. And we all know this. I don't need to talk about all this. It's a big problem. And scientists uh, were very, I mean, this is correct information. In order to lose weight, we need to burn more calories than we take in or to put differently, take in less calories than we burn. Now that's true. Now it's definitely more complex than that. In terms of you know what makes up each of those things and how we do it, but that is very true. You have to take in less calories than you burn, or burn more calories than you take in. That's how we will lose weight. And the obesity epidemic is because that formula has been reversed. Now here's the problem: when they looked at the formula of calories in versus calories out, the calories outside of that formula, they said, "How can we get people to burn more calories? Exercise and movement burns more calories. Let's value exercise." by how many calories it burns. That's how we'll prioritize the value of exercise. Now, if that were true, that the main value of exercise is calories burned while you perform it, then cardio wins, obviously. An hour of running will burn more calories than an hour of almost any other form of exercise, including traditional resistance training. Now, the problem with that is, of all of the value that exercise provides you, Calories you burn while you do it is on the bottom. It's the last important thing. The most important thing that you need to look at is how does this form of exercise get my body to adapt? Mm. And then what does that mean? Right. What does that adaptation well, mean? Well, the calories are just so easy to quantify, right? They, yes. is, that, is that, do you think that's why it got the notoriety that it did so early? Is that if you run on a treadmill and you burn, I mean, because you could actually literally just quantify that. I mean, yes. you can get on your Apple watch right now. How many calories I burn doing a whatever. Totally. It's a, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the value of exercise. I'll give you a study that blew people's minds when it was conducted. So scientists went to Northern Tanzania and they studied the Hadza tribe. This is a, this, this is a modern hunter gatherer tribe. So they lived the way that humans lived a hundred thousand years ago, right? They live in huts they gather, they hunt. The way they hunt is they'll, they'll stalk an animal, they'll throw a spear at it, wound it, chase it for miles until it gets exhausted, carry it back. They don't have electronics, they don't have cell phones, they don't watch TV. They move way more than the average Western couch potato. Oh yeah. Scientists went down and literally, through very sophisticated testing, tested how many calories they burned on a daily basis. How many calories are these modern hunter-gatherers burning? Because they're moving all the time. Here's what they found. They didn't burn that many more calories. It was actually very similar to the amount of calories that the average Western couch potato burned. Now, at first you think, how in the hell is this possible? The average Westerner takes 3,000 steps a day, maybe, sits down at work, sits down on the couch, drives in their car. These people are running, walking, standing, moving all yeah. day long. Yeah, 10,000 steps is a prerequisite for them to go get water every day. Probably. Yes, yes. Yeah. How is this possible? Now, if you if you, if you really think about it, evolutionarily speaking, it makes perfect sense. There's no way humans would have survived if we had to eat 7,000 calories a day in order to survive. Food is incredibly hard to come by in nature. So how did we do it? Our bodies adapted. 
they adapted dramatically. The kind of activity that the modern hunter-gatherer uh, does, or that we did thousands of years ago, is lots of general movement. Running, walking, just lots of movement. Yeah, throwing, whatever. Yes. Yeah. That what, Our bodies learn to become efficient with that kind of movement. And the way they do it is by slowing down the body's metabolism and by paring muscle down. Okay, One of the number one adaptations to that type of consistent, constant movement daily is the paring down of muscle. If you And that's because your body recognizes muscle's expensive tissue. We don't need lots of strength to chase down an animal and throw a spear. We just need lots of stamina and endurance. So, And we're not getting lots of calories throughout the day because that's just the, the reality of living that way. So we'll slow our metabolisms down. Studies show, and there's been many of these, that show that when, you, when a weight loss protocol involves calorie restriction plus cardio, plus lots of cardio, the weight loss typically results from half muscle, half body fat. Somebody loses 10 pounds on the scale, five pounds of it is muscle. Now, the body's not burning muscle. It's, it's an adaptation. It's paring muscle down because it's adapting. Your body needs lots of stamina and endurance, doesn't need lots of strength. It's burning lots of calories while it's doing the activity. So it's no different than if we had an AI car. We, imagine we had the super advanced AI car that adapted to your driving habits. And the way you drove every day was 30 miles an hour, 300 miles a day. Right. It would turn into this very efficient, not very fast engine. Now imagine if the way you drove the car was you go to the, to the, to the quarter mile and you do a quarter mile two or three times a day. See how fast you could go. It would get a very big engine and it would burn lots of gas in order to produce this adaptation that you're asking of it. Well, this is what happens with your body when cardio is your primary form of exercise. You do lose weight, a lot of weight initially. Much of it muscle, big chunk of it. But then your metabolism adapts, and this is what it looks like. I lose 10 pounds, plateau. Okay, where do I go from here? Got to cut my calories more. Got to do more cal more cardio. I lose a little more weight, plateau again. Got to do more cardio. Got to cut my calories more. At the end of this 30-pound weight loss journey, I have a metabolism that's slower than the one that I started with, and I have to, in order to maintain this, I got to work out like crazy, which, let's be honest, Jason, the average person is not going to work out every single day. No matter what we do to convince them, at most we can expect the average person who does nothing, at most what we can expect is two or three days a week of exercise on a, on a forever basis. Yeah. And we're surrounded by hyper-palatable, easily accessible food. Well, I mean, the, the two to three, just to give you a context, like when we look at our membership base, whether it's here in, in – we have you know brick and mortars and whatnot, the – our average member comes in three days a week. Yes. And those are people who are paying two twenty six a month for a membership. So, And that's that's amazing consistency. And that's, right. So, but those are, that's an anomaly group, right? The most people, I think you're right, right? One to probably two or days a week. It's a really interesting study. So you're talking about, I'd, I'd love to to review that. So I need to look at it. But yes. basically what you're saying is um, the caloric... Uh, the amount of calories burned is similar, similar because their bodies have became so efficient from this style of movement for, for years and years and years. And so you're making the argument that for us over time, we're becoming so efficient with just this cardiovascular pursuit that it just it becomes this revolving door where we're just always seeking another way to lose more. But eventually you just run out of, 
it's unsustainable. And in the context of the average person who's not going to work out more than two or three days a week, is not going to do multiple forms of exercise, and is surrounded by lots of food, it's a failing strategy. Mm. Now, I do want to be clear. Cardio, cardiovascular exercise has health benefits. And when applied appropriately, all forms of exercise have benefits. What I'm talking specifically about is this weight loss approach where cardio is the cornerstone of your workout. Yeah. Okay. Now let's look at another form the elliptical of elliptical for 45 minutes a day. Exactly. Look, yep. you, you you worked in big box gyms. You know you saw the cardio kings and queens that oh, yeah. came in every single day and they still 15 pounds overweight, never changed. So let's talk about another form of exercise. Let's talk about resistance training. Resistance training, traditional. Training to build strength and build muscle. The primary adaptation of that is more strength and more muscle. That's the main signal that you're sending your body. What's the side effect of that? A metabolism that speeds up. I am now teaching my body to burn more calories. Now, what does this look like in application? I don't lose as much weight initially at first, mainly because I'm not losing any muscle. In fact, if you look at the studies with resistance training, and we have them now, 20 years ago, we didn't have these studies. But when it's resistance training plus diet, it's all body fat that we lose. In some cases, we actually gain a little muscle while we lose body fat. The metabolism speeds up, and over time, I burn the body fat that I want. I don't require as much time in the gym, by the way. Building muscle doesn't require every single day of training. Two days a week for most people will give you great muscle gain. And when you talk about resistance training, just so we're all on the same page, are you talking about cables, dumbbells? Are we talking about big movers like back squats? What in particular? All of it. All of it. Yeah, any form of exercise using resistance in a way to build strength and muscle. So it could be body weight, it could be bands, it could be free weights. I'm not communicating to someone who wants to be a bodybuilder right now uh, or somebody that wants an extreme strength pursuits. I'm talking to the average person who wants a faster metabolism so that fat loss becomes easier and more consistent and sustainable, okay? So when they lift weights or body weight or bands in a way to build muscle, they will speed up their metabolism. This is the direct result of that. They burn more calories naturally. So now you're not manually having to go up, stand up, and burn calories, but you burn more calories sitting down. You burn more calories all the time. And the fat loss starts off slow, but it becomes a snowball effect. At the end of that 30-pound weight loss pursuit, if we do it right, and I've done this, I don't know, hundreds of times with clients, you end up with a metabolism that was faster than the one you walked in with. So now I'm eating more than I did when I was 30 pounds overweight to maintain my leaner body. How much more sustainable is that? But there's more. There's more to this story, Jason, than just the metabolism boosting, which I think is the most important. But there's far more to that. Let's talk about hormonal effects of exercise. Now, people might not know this, but for the last six decades, we've been observing, this is well documented, we've been observing this slow decline of testosterone in men. Okay, this is a fact. The average... 20-year-old today has got testosterone levels that the average 50-year-old had in the 1960s. It's just a slow... And there's lots of reasons that they're speculating as to why, but we know this is happening. We see this with women, with estrogen and progesterone imbalances. Fertility clinics are at, just raking them money right now because there's lots of stuff going on with people's hormones. All right, let's look at exercise and how it affects your hormones. First off, if you become healthier you're going to get positive, typically positive effects on your hormones. So we know that, but let's put that aside. Only one form of exercise directly tells your body to produce youthful levels of hormones. Why? Well, when you lift weights or do resistance training or strength training, let's talk about men for a second. The primary adaptation is build muscle. What is required to build muscle? Testosterone. 
the only form of exercise that raises testosterone predictably and reliably is resistance training. It also increases androgen receptor density reliably. These are the recept receptors that testosterone attaches to. So let's say your testosterone is 500 and you double your androgen receptor density. Well, it's essentially like doubling your testosterone. Resistance training does that. Insulin. Let's look at insulin. One of the most effective ways at sensitizing your body to insulin is to simply build a little bit of muscle. In fact, there's studies on severely obese people where they lose zero weight. They just have them build a little bit of muscle and they see significant improvements in insulin sensitivity. Mm. Why? Muscle is very insulin sensitive. It also helps your body store glycogen, which is right. what comes from carbohydrates. Growth hormone, the youth hormone. You start to see youthful levels of growth hormone. In women, you see the balancing of estrogen and progesterone. Why? Because you're telling your body to build or increase active tissue. Resistance training is a proactive tissue form of exercise. Cardio is an anti-active tissue form of exercise. You take somebody and you have them do lots of long distance running and they will lose muscle as part of this adaptation. They'll gain lots of stamina and endurance, but they will lose muscle. And when you lose muscle, your body organizes itself in a way to do this effectively. Look at the studies on chronic cardio adaptations on hormones. Look at the ones on men reliably lowers testosterone in men because your body's paring muscle down. If I gave a guy injections of testosterone and then got him to, to try and lose muscle, it'd be a lot harder because that high testosterone is always telling the body to keep muscle. So your body will organize itself to the adaptation that you're asking for. Resistance training puts us in a position to organize our hormones in a way that lots of people want right now. Guys want higher testosterone, healthier uh, sensitivity to insulin. Women want a more balanced estrogen and progesterone. Resistance training will do that. Here's another factor that I think is phenomenal. Now, no results are permanent. What I mean by that is whatever you do to get in shape, you got to kind of keep doing forever to stay in shape. However, resistance training does produce more permanent results than other forms of exercise. Okay. So let me explain. If you build strength and muscle and you get those metabolism boosting effects, and then you stop working out for three weeks. Your metabolism is going to stay boosted for those three weeks. You're not going to get this huge slowdown in a few weeks. It takes longer than that for your body to really start to pare muscle down. Now, eventually it will, but it takes a lot longer than three weeks. If you're burning lots of calories because you're moving a lot, if you're just doing running all the time, the second you stop, that effect is gone. So you stop for three weeks, you've immediately now got your body to burn far less calories over that three-week period. On top of the fact that you've probably already gotten your body to adapt to burning lower calories. Here's another one. Muscle memory. Muscle memory is well documented. Yeah. This is a very real thing. If, you if you're a man and you lift weights and you do it right and you're consistent and you have average genetics and you're working out maybe three days a week, you can gain a good 10, maybe 12 pounds of lean body mass in a year. Now, some people more with better muscle building genes, some people less. But I think 10 to 12 is probably a, a, a realistic general number. So it takes you a year to gain 12 pounds of lean body mass on your frame. And then for whatever reason, you stop working out for three months. And let's just say you lose all 12 pounds of lean body mass. Then you go back to working out again. You'll gain back that 12 pounds in like a month. It takes a long time to build it initially, but once you built it, if you lose it, it comes back very, very fast. And we also have studies now that show, this is quite remarkable, but these studies are pretty conclusive, 
that the amount of volume and training it takes to build muscle, about one ninth of that is needed to maintain. So think of yourself. You've been training forever. Yeah. Amount of, think of the, the base of strength and muscle that you have. Remember what it took to get you to where you're at. Now think of what it takes to keep you. No, I mean, that's actually what I was going to bring back up is, you know, so I've, I've been training for a really long time and I look at some of my numbers, let's just say a, a clean and jerk. And I'm competing at the end of this month in a, in a, in a CrossFit competition. So I'm starting to ramp it back up. And so it's really interesting because I'm still at like, in one month's time, I could gain back like so I already maintain this strength, but then let's just say like, I'll take clean and jerk. My best clean and jerk ever was like a 365, mm -hmm. right? I did a 315 the other day. So not not there, mm -hmm. but by the time I give it a month, I'll probably be at like 335, 345. And, and that's not training heavy loads. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just validating your point that the muscle stays there, even though I'm not stimulating it the same way. And then once I do stimulate it the same way that I used to, it comes back even quicker, but it's still there. And I, I, I'm curious though, when you talk about resistance training, we think about body weight. I'm curious your thoughts on, I understand your position on cardio. I get it. What if you were just doing body weight? Do you think eventually the same byproduct would happen where your body, or does your body stop adapting and do you need to then add in some external resistance? Yeah, maybe at some point. There's a lot. First of all, there's a lot that you could do with body weight. Lots of ways to modify angles and tempo. tempo. And yeah. yeah. Lots of lots of different things you could do. Um, and yeah, at some point you might reach a certain level. You know, like, like like I'll use Doug as an example. When Doug hired me as a trainer, we worked out twice a week. And he got strong and built muscle. And there was a lot that we can manipulate with that twice a week before we got to the point where I said we should probably add a third day a week, right? The average person is looking for health, fitness. They want to be relatively lean. They want to have some mo decent mobility and some mm -hmm. decent strength. That's the average person. You could do that with minimal equipment without a lot of dedication to time in the gym. Now, if you want a six-pack abs, if you want to, you know, 17 or 18-inch arms, you want to, you know, yeah, you're going to probably have to get take things to whole nother levels. But I don't care about that because once you get to that point, now you're you're well, on my already, team. You've already you've already had the matrix in your head. Yes. Right, to your back. So where I think so if you're if you're a coach or if you're just someone and you're looking to get off the couch, the recommendation is this idea of resistance training. And when you think about resistance training from a movement perspective, do you have some that you favor over others? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the basics tend to be the most uh, effective yeah. for, for, a different, for a few different reasons. You want to strengthen functional, foundational human movement. So like a squat, for example, this is a fundamental human movement. Right. So, and, and this is why, I mean, geez, uh, barbell, heavy barbell squats, one of the most effective leg strengthening, performance building exercises, right? But even for the average person, get good at just doing squats and you'll see this tremendous benefit over, let's say, if you got good at doing leg extensions or leg curls, right. for example. Yeah, they're compound. There's a, lot, yes. there's a lot going on there. Yeah, and by the way, this is what CrossFit got, I mean, really got right when they came onto the scene. I mean, I remember, Jason, as a gym manager in the late 90s, I'd manage a 40,000 square foot box with one squat rack. Yep. And the squat racks had dust on it. Yep. Nobody touched it. Right. God forbid you saw a deadlift. 
I would deadlift and I'd have members come up to me and be like, what are you doing? You're going to hurt yourself because they'd never seen one before, right? right? Isn't that fascinating, right? It's fascinating. And that that's a whole nother story of, you know, influences of bodybuilding and the wrong kind of, you know, messaging. And like, here's another example, like the word toned. This was invented by the fitness industry to attract women. Like muscles don't tone, they build or they shrink, right? But they got to come up with a word that kept women from being afraid of building. So they said, uh, don't worry, you're not going to build, you're yeah, going to tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Toning is just building we're, to we're a gonna smaller We're going to tone you group. out. Yeah. It's, okay. the sa- it's the same thing. So yeah, compound lifts, squatting, rowing, pressing, uh, split stance type squatting. You know, these, these fundamental kind of movements, these are the things that I, have, I would have people focus on just because of the bang for the buck result. Like if I get the average person to work out two days a week, 45 minutes, you know, each workout, I'm not going to have them spend a bunch of time doing exercises that aren't going to really give them a lot back. You know, I'm going to have them get better at squats. You know, that's another point is that, and again, this is another thing I think in many ways CrossFit coaches got right, which is understanding that exercise is a skill, not just a workout, right? So you can definitely go to the gym and think to yourself, uh, I'm going to make my back tired and sore and my pecs and my shoulders and my legs. Or think of, again, think of the average person. I could go to the gym and think, I'm going to perfect my squat. I'm going to get really good at the skill of rowing, right? I'm going to get really good at the skill at overhead pressing. The person who is skill-based is going to practice the movements. The person who's workout-based is going to go all about intensity, fatigue, Form is going to go out the window, higher rate of injury, not as great a progress. The other person who practices is going to develop a beautiful squat, beautiful press, beautiful row, is going to be more careful of technique and form, and in the long term is going to get far better success and way lower rates of injury. So when you look at exercise, and this is something that I would teach trainers and coaches to do, is to communicate this to your clients' skills. I don't care about getting you super sore or tired. What I want you to do is I want you to go to the gym and I want you to get really good at squatting. I want you to practice your squats. Yeah. Every time you go there, practice and get really good at them. Next, I want you to practice your rows. Here's what the technique, get really good at. By the way, when you, and you know this as well as I do, we just talked about squats. Great exercise. One of the best in the world. That doesn't mean you're going to reap the benefits of it. You'll only reap the benefits of it if you do it well. Yeah, and if you do it consistently. And you do it consistently. Right. If you do it wrong, squats can become terrible for you. Right. So- that practice element, that's another thing that I like to communicate. I also communicate that in my book because this this is a funny story, actually. I was hiking in the foothills uh, here in San Jose, great hiking trails, and I was hiking, and then people would pass me up because they'd be running, and I'm sure this happens to you as well. As a trainer, it's very challenging for me to not notice biomechanics, right? So person runs by me, I'm like, oh, my God, look at those. His feet are pronating really bad. That's going to kill his his knees. And oh my gosh, that person's anterior pelvic tilt, you know, that's going to hurt their back. And every person running by me was just, I could just see biomechanics were really bad. And then this guy runs by me and he just looked like a gazelle. Gazelle. Just, just beautiful. Beautiful yeah. technique and form. And he was running. And then, you know, I'm, look, I'm a, I love movement. I love exercise history. I love evolution, how it's connected. And then I thought to myself, you know, humans evolved to do a few things really well physically. Like, we're not the most physical animals on, on the planet, but there are a couple things that we kick ass at. One of them is running distance. This is true. We can actually out-trek most animals. This is how we hunt, 
like we like I said earlier, throw a spear, wound it, and then chase it. And we walk on you know two legs, so we conserve more energy. We can breathe and recuperate while we run. Some animals have to stop to do it. And so we're really good at running for distance. We're also really good at throwing for accuracy. We can throw with accuracy naturally better than any other animal on the planet. So I'm thinking to myself, like, if we evolve to run well, why the hell does nobody run well? And I'm like, well, nobody practices it as a skill. Nobody realizes it's a skill. They stop running when they're 10. And then when they're 30, they think I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to put my shoes on and I'm going to go run. And then they don't think to themselves, I got to get better at running. They think to themselves, I need to go burn calories and get tired. Right. And then I thought about resistance training. Gosh, if, if that's sometimes people approach resistance training that way, I'm going to go get my legs tired. I'm going to go hammer my chest. I'm going to go hammer my shoulders. If people just looked at these exercises like skills and treated them as such, holy cow, would they get better results and and definitely more consistent sustainable results yeah and so that i communicate I like, very a, heavily that's a good uh, that's a good analogy i think with running we have made a lot of progress in the last if you're open to it right with pose running technique with yes. midfoot strike i mean vibrams came out there's some you know pros and cons that and barefoot running some people went a little bit too crazy too fast and saw some issues from it but you know something i'm working on with my son right now is just is just smooth midfoot running yeah. because uh, and also the the curved treadmills have been a little bit helpful in that sense too to help avoid some of that heel striking and and, and kind of place the foot back underneath the hips. But that's really that's a that's a great analogy as well. I think today you've highlighted a lot of really good things. I think coaches, owners, just people in general should be thinking more about. And I think we got to get past this stigma of resistance training. We, totally. we have to get past it. Totally. You I know? mean, especially with, you know, uh, you, you mentioned women. I mean, muscle is dense. It takes up maybe two thirds of the space of body fat. Like this is what I like to communicate to women is, you know, if I, if I got a woman, if I got all the women in America to, to lose 10 pounds of fat and gain 10 pounds of muscle, they'd all be a lot smaller and much more sculpted and tight. You know, uh, speaking of sales, I'll tell you a funny story. I used to have, when I would manage big box gyms, I, I, I figured out this super effective sales technique. So I had female trainers that worked for me and many of them were really good at working out and very fit. And whenever I tour your typical middle-aged average woman around the gym, when I'd come to the free weight area and the machine area, inevitably I'd hear something like, oh, I'm not interested in right, this area. Right. I just want to do the, the classes yep. or the cardio. And I mean, I have a fitness background and I'd say, no, you got to do resistance training. It does all these awesome things and whatever. And, and of course it would go in one ear out the other. Right. Then we'd come back to my desk and depending on the situation, I would do this. I'd say, okay, I tell you what. I'm going to call in one of my female trainers. If you can predict, if you can tell me, and if you could guess her weight within 10 pounds, I'll give you a free membership for three months. And do you want that deal? And they'd all be like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, why not, right? So I mean, I'd get on my intercom, attention staff, so-and-so come to Sal's office, and in would walk in my five-foot-one resistance-trained female trainer, right? So she would walk in, five-foot-one, tight, sculpted, small waist. You know, she's got the, the, the curve and the muscle. And I'd say, okay, how much do you think she weighs? And they'd say, oh, I don't know, 100 pounds, 105 pounds. I'd say, okay, step on the scale. I'd have a scale in my oh, office. Man. These days, I don't know if that would yeah. fly, by 100, the way. 100, I know, I, I, right? <laughs> 130 pounds. And they'd be, their minds would explode. What do you, wait a minute, 130 pounds? I'm like, yeah. She looks like she's 100 pounds because she's lean. Muscle is dense. Body fat takes up a lot of space. And then I'd say this. 
I'd say to my trainer, can you tell her what you ate today for breakfast and lunch? And she'd be like, oh, for breakfast, I had four egg omelet, two pieces of toast, banana. Right. For the lunch, volume I had a- of calories and food would be more than that other person yes. could even fathom. Yes. And so this is what a lot of women don't understand about resistance training. No, you're not going to get big and bulky. Building muscle is definitely, that much muscle is not easy. Most people can't do it. You have to really it. try. Oh, and mo- most women couldn't, even if they did try to get too bulky. It just doesn't work. So I, I would communicate that to women. But yeah, this book I wrote for the average person to really get them to understand the value of resistance training for their typical goal, which is fat loss and health, and to feel more vibrant and, and better. And I also wrote it for trainers and coaches to arm us. Like, here's the book that can arm you with the literature, the studies, and the way to communicate to these people to get them to do the most effective form of exercise they could do in the context of modern life, in the context of they're only going to work out a couple days a week, and they like to enjoy eating food. And so that's who this book is for. So if you're a trainer or a coach, you know, you're probably going to know all the information that's in there, although the studies are, are kind of cool. Yeah, they're good to fall back on, but it's But it'll arm you. It'll arm you and help you communicate it a little bit better. Well, I love, this has been super insightful. If, if, if people want to go and check out your book, where's the best place to go? Any, well, so anywhere books are sold, you'll find it, uh, Target, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, but you could also go to the resistance training revolution.com. Um, and then of course, if you want to listen to more inf- information like this, uh, we do this five days a week on mind pump, mind pump, the podcast. Let's go. Thanks for your time today, man. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks brother. Thanks.